Welcome to the RCC Points of View podcast, brought to you by the Scottish Residential Childcare Workers Online Forum. In this episode of the podcast, I speak with a professional who has used her own lived experience in a way that's helped shine a light on some of the challenges children and young people face when they enter the care system. In this episode, we explore some of the pioneering work undertaken, which includes my guest's involvement with the National Care Review, The Promise and The Star Group. In addition, we tease out some of the complexities associated with physical restraint alongside considering the future of secure care in Scotland. This was a thought-provoking interview, and to be honest, I wasn't expecting some of my guest's answers to my questions, which maybe explains my lack of reaction. This was an honest and candid interview, and I hope you enjoy listening as much as I enjoyed recording. So without further ado, please welcome Beth Ann Logan. Hi Beth Ann, thanks so much for taking part and taking some time some time out of your day and respect to taking part in the podcast, especially when it's been a really nice day outside and you've been working all day. So first, can you just tell me a wee bit about yourself and what your connection is to residential care and secure care in Scotland? Um, so hi Joe, thanks for having me on today. Um, so my name is Beth Ann. I'm I'm 23. Um, I'm a non-executive director at Children's Seed in Scotland, and I'm a Promise Development Worker at North Lanarkshire Council. Um, and I guess my connection to residential care and secure care in Scotland is personal experience of both, um, both for some kind of periods of time um, that were quite critical in my my youth and my adolescence growing up. Excellent. And, you know, in terms of your, I suppose, your, your, your kind of working life and times when you've been volunteering, you've done it, you've been actively involved and used your lived experience, you know, really well. Can you tell me about some of that stuff you've been involved in and also maybe some, one or two of the ones you've been most proud of? Yeah, um, so I guess one of the things that I'm most proud of is um, the Secure Care National Standards. So um, off the back of uh um, review that was conducted by Alison Goff. Um, there was the establishment of the Secure Care Strategic Board, um, of which I was invited on um, because of my lived experience. Um, and there were several different work strands to that, and one of them was Pathways and Standards to Secure Care. Um, and that working group was uh, chaired by Andy Sloan from the Care Inspectorate. Um, and what we did was we mapped like legislation and policy and different reviews that had happened and took on like the voices report as well um, and looked at secure care in Scotland looking ahead and, and all the, the stuff that Alison from CYCJ had published um, and began to try and forge a path forward to see what good like what exemplary care and secure care should look like before during and after a stay in secure care so encompassing um, the whole totality of the experience um, and whether that also included um, kind of young people that would be what is referred to as on the edges of secure care. Um, so that was like a massive piece of work um, and it was also um, co-produced by the STAR group um, of which I'm the, the founder and current chair and what happened there was um, myself and a, a colleague who had lived experience on the, the secure care strategic board asked the board to give power to us in January 2018 um, because we were quite clear from the start that we could not 
actively represent the voice a lived experience and we needed to broaden out the net so to speak and get other voices involved um and and that presented a really good opportunity to create a further kind of work strand that would be there to inform advise challenge and, and change um the processes and and it's secure care before, during and after. Um, so STAR was established and um, it's like my baby. It's, 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 it's my baby. Um, and I'm so passionate about kind of raising the profile of STAR, getting kind of new members on board, um, encouraging people with lived experience of secure care that this is a forum where their, their experiences is taken seriously, where they're, they're heard, where they're valued, um, and where they're loved actually as well, just for, for being who they are. Mm -hmm. And see for people who haven't heard of the STAR group before, what does STAR stand for? What, what does it mean in terms of so the world? It's, um, it's STAR by a double R, um, but it's not an acronym. Um, and sometimes people can get um, quite confused as to why it's got a double R and it's not an acronym. But the fact is it's supposed to represent loads of different aspects of, of um, secure care. So like kind of transformational, revolutionary, reference points. Um, and, and what it's, it, it's named after is the, the North Star, which is a guiding light um, and holds um, kind of the universe in, in, in check or, or, or the earth in check. Um, and what it represents is like secure care has changed in the past. Um, it's changing in the present um, and it'll change again in the future. But the one constant remaining kind of centre point of that's got to be the North Star. And that's why it's called Star. That's actually interesting. It's something I was not aware of. Um, so it's, I think a lot of people will, you know, get a bit of insight for that as well. And it certainly makes sense to me, you know, why that has been decided to be called STAR, you know, in terms of the group. Um, so back, I, I suppose, come back to your lived experience as a, as a teenager and getting into secure for the first time, you know, and can you describe how it felt to you walking through the doors of secure for the first time? You know, how did that feel? What were you thinking? Um, it's quite an ironic question because we didn't walk through the front door. We get drove into a garage oh, right. um, in an airlock. Right. Um, so right. that was something that we, um, as we were making the pathways and standards, that we kind of advocated for change for. Um, so one of the standards is I am welcomed at the front door when it's safe to do so. And it's something that um, I know that some of the centres are working on and getting rid of their garages um, and, and trying to do kind of different entrances where young people's dignity is protected, but also they're, they're treated as human beings. Because what happened is you're, you're in a car and you go in the garage and the door shuts um, and then the, the other door on the inside of the secure unit can't open until the garage door is shut and you're kind of trapped in this car. Um, and sometimes, um, in my case, there was um, two police officers at either side of me, my social worker in the front seat um, and my senior social worker in the driver's seat. Um, and I was, to be honest, I was petrified because secure care had been used as a threat for me for a very long time. Um, and it was always one of those things like, oh, if you don't behave yourself, if you don't buck up your ideas, you're going to end up insecure and there's bars in the windows and like all these kind of like myths. Um, but I was I was genuinely genuinely petrified um, because I didn't know what I was, I was walking into, and that's the biggest thing that that I'm so passionate about is raising awareness of what secure care actually is and the help and support and the, the that it can provide for young people because it shouldn't be a place that's feared. It should be a place where young people know that they're going to go, they're going to be safe, they're going to be looked after, and they're going to get the help and support that they need. Um, so the first and 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 the first kind of like 
admission process of that also involves like a, a personal search um, as well. So as somebody who had adverse experiences um, in the past, um, kind of having to remove your clothes and stuff like that, it's very undignifying for a start, um, but it can also be quite traumatic for young people who have had adverse experiences in the past as well. Um, and also um, being told that if you don't kind of follow the rules, then you'll face a consequence. Um, so if you don't, if you don't, um, take part in the search, you'll face a consequence kind of thing. Um, and, and my kind of standing point's already been that I don't need to, to face another consequence. I'm already in a place where my liberty has been taken away from me. I don't know anybody. It's a whole new a whole new world. Like, I can't open the door. I can't go for a drink. I'm, I'm told when I'm eating. I'm told when I'm drinking. I'm told when I'm sleeping. Everything in that environment is controlled. Um, and to feel like you don't have control over your own body as well is, is, is something that's that's it's it's horrific. Um, so we've been working really hard um, with the secure care centres over the past few years to really work on that admission process and how we can make it as, as dignifying as possible, whilst also ensuring the safety of um, our children and young people that are experiencing secure care. Mm. So in respect to that, where do you got to? What kind of, what kind of ideas has the Star Group come up with that would maybe you know soften that? experience in the future for, for, for young people that might be coming in and secure for the first time? Um, so some of the stuff that um, the Champions Group, um, which is a, a group of people from kind of local authorities and secure care centres who were involved in the co-production of the national standards, um, have been working really hard with young people currently in secure care on is looking about that admission process. So looking at um, front door entry where possible. Um, one of the centres is looking at creating a different entrance that isn't the garage. Um, looking at things like kind of airport scanners. Um, that can be used instead of kind of young people having to take their clothes off and, and be subject to such an intimate search. Um, and also looking at kind of creating videos and, and leaflets and, and stuff like that so that the young people um, are familiar with and, and they, they, they've seen like a couple of familiar faces before they actually enter secure care. Um, because we know that the majority of um, secure care admissions are emergency admissions. Um, and, and actually very few and far between is a planned admissions, whereas if, if we were a country where we did have planned admissions more often, that would allow staff from the secure care centres to go out to meet the young people, to tell them what it's about, um, to explain to them how they're going to be helped and supported and, and, and nurtured in that environment. Um, but also as well, whilst retaining the fact that as a, as a locked environment and you are going to be losing your liberty. Um, and also looking at um, kind of, the, the videos that, that young people are making can, can be shown to young people on their, their journey to the secure care centre. So that's something that we can work on kind of right now. Um, and we can make sure that, that kind of people that are bringing um, young people into secure care and whether that be for an escort company, a police or um, kind of social, social workers or, or residential staff or, or whoever it is that's bringing, if they're, if they're kind of clued up and, and educated and, and these resources are made widely available about what the secure care centre is like and, and, and that step-by-step -step process as to what to expect for the first kind of 24, 48 hours um, is something that, that that doesn't take a lot of money to, to do, um, but it's something that can be really, really invaluable to those young people that are going to experience secure care. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds really, really, you know, interesting. I think it's doable. I, I'm thinking is how does how's this never been thought about in the past? You know, having worked in residential for personally for nearly twenty years, including a wee spell on secure. You know, it's the stuff as you see it can be done 
you know, at, at kind of relatively low cost. I suppose for me, it's about how that's, you know, not as much put in place, but when it's put in place, how it's made to, to be authentic in terms of, you know, those videos or, you know, who's conveying that to the, to the young person. Uh, and it's done in a way that's, you know, as nice as possible whereby that person, you know, the relationship's going to be there for that to happen. So it's interesting, again, about that whole idea that you spoke about, about the, the notion of planned admissions into secure care. Do you think that is achievable? I think that if we are steadfast in our ambitions and realising the promise, um, then it can be achieved. Um, I think what often happens is because secure care is often viewed as the last resort um, and, and, and some people have different opinions on whether it, um, that's that's an accurate representation of secure care um, or not. So whatever the, the difference in opinion is, regardless of that, the, at the end of the day, you've got young people that are entering and losing their liberty and entering an environment where their liberty is so restricted um, that it just seems like madness that we haven't thought about how we could help support that transition um, before. Um, and I think that planned admissions could be something in the future um, if we weren't so kind of focused on that crisis response mode that we're currently operating on. Um, and that's not just for secure care, that's across the whole kind of care sector. But we're, we're often kind of basing our decisions and our, our, our processes based on a crisis response mo model. Um, so, yeah. All right, no, thanks. Thanks very much for that. It's, 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 got, it's going to be a real interest in the next couple of years, you know, how that, how the promise actually, you know, begins to get actioned. And it's, in many ways, kind of frightening, but also exciting as well, you know, in terms of, is there a real will for, you know, all the players uh, to actually make this a reality, you know, because I think people with lived experience have shouted long and hard about what's required. And it's interesting to see now if actually, you know, local authorities, Scottish government can actually, you know, carry this through. Um, so I suppose that brings me to my next question, which is in respect to secure care, do you, do you think there's actually a place for secure care and residential care in Scotland? Um, so my, my gut instinct is yes. Um, mm -hmm. However, I feel that we can sometimes overuse residential and secure care. Um, so it's a bit of a postcode lottery with regards to secure care. So what is um, deemed as kind of like for care and protection grounds, for example, what's deemed as risky behaviour in Orkney may not have the same kind of tariff in Glasgow or North Lanarkshire. Um, so sometimes it's varying kind of degrees of, of risk or harm that young people are presenting to themselves or others um, can be completely different in different parts of the country. Um, and that's not consistent and that's not okay. Um, so we need to get better at working on so what is the purpose of secure care? And that's one of the, the, the recommendations that came out from the from the, the promise, um, which I was involved in as a co-chair of the best place in the world work group, is um making sure that it was trauma-informed support um and 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 it was a holistic wraparound support for, for young people. Um and also kind of looking at what we can do further upstream for, for young people and, and for families. Um so in my current role, um we're looking at kind of 
rolling out models such as family group decision making, where families are, are, are helped to feel empowered to make decisions about their family life and come up with a plan to keep themselves and, and their children safe and at home or in a stable placement in a, in a loving environment. Um, and if we got better at kind of getting that help further upstream, um, then I think we would see a reduction in the numbers of young people coming into residential care and definitely secure care without a doubt. Um, because what currently happens is, or, or in my experience, what happened is I was removed from the family home, but the work wasn't done with my family um, to work on either what I needed and how to meet my needs and how to um, uphold and, and respect my rights, but I was also looking after and nurturing my family and what they needed. Um, so I was kind of picked and, and put into um, residential care as a, a kind of emergency crisis response, um, but also um, without kind of that kind of supportive kind of work going on between between families um, and also I think that if we get the kind of the vision of the promise correct where we've got kind of far more early help and support we're looking at things that like poverty um, the economic cost of care um, if we can 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 do that kind of and keep families together um, and lower that barometer for that kind of tipping point for it and into care because I'm, I'm a firm believer in kind of positive risks um, and sometimes we need to kind of take a leap of faith and put trust in our families um, and, and, and the fact that we can provide supports that wrap around them. Um, so although we currently have very limited resources and in, 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 in Scotland or there's kind of disparity across local authorities in um, regards to kind of what service is provided for who and when and how um, and that's a lot to do with commissioning and stuff like that as well um, I think that that we could really see a, a drastic kind of turn um, in, in what the, the the landscape of residential and secure care looks like um, because one of the, the, the recommendations for the promise around secure care as well was um, children shouldn't be um, kind of kept in a prison like setting um, so that's looking at kind of Pullman and, and 16 and 17 year olds and, and, and making sure that, that they're respected and treated as children because in the eyes of the UNCRC and in the eyes of the law in Scotland, you're a child until you're 18. Um, so having kind of 16 and 17 year olds either on remand, which is most, most of them are, um, in places like Pullman isn't good enough. Um, and as a country, we need to strive for better for our children and young people um, with regards mm -hmm. to that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And just there's something that really kind of had a wee light bulb moment when we were kind of talking there about different thresholds in terms of maybe you described, for example, Orkney and Glasgow or North Lanarkshire about, you know, when children come into secure. You, you know, why why do you think that is in terms of, you know, from the different kind of geographical locations in, in Scotland, why the cultural, or sorry, the, the, I suppose it's cultural, but, but why that kind of, I suppose, difference is there? Um, I think it, it, it sometimes I think it, it can be down to um, what supports they have in place. Um, so they might have kind of different, so for example, like one of the, the bespoke services that, that happens in North Lanarkshire um, is called CAPE and it's called CAMS for Accommodated Young People. Um, and that's a bespoke service that only works with young people who are accommodated away from home, so in kind of residential settings or secure care settings. Um, and they work with the staff and, and sometimes like staff and young people or sometimes just staff to, to work out how to better support and, and protect and, and uphold the rights of our children and young people in North Lanarkshire. Um, but I know that not every 
um, kind of local authority is fortunate enough to have a service such as as, as the Cape Service, and then there's also um, kind of organisations such as like Homestart and stuff like that that focus on um, kind of early and preventative work um, as well. So I think sometimes it just differs because of the 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 way that the system currently operates with the commissioning of it, it's not universal based services um, and every every local authority does something a little bit differently. Um, and also looking at um, kind of risk taking, kind of the barometer for risk taking behaviours um, can sometimes be higher in different local authorities because they experience it a lot more. Um, so, but for others who maybe live in kind of like more rural communities where that's not always the case and it's not always experienced like that, um, then that can, can maybe tip the, the tipping point can be a lot lower. Um, and I think that that's just down to the way that the system currently functions. Uh, no, that's a really good point. It's made me think back to my time working secure when uh, actually my first key boy, he was from uh, up, in, well, up in the north of Scotland and pretty much he got accommodating a to secure for like, smoking cannabis, believe it or not. You know, as much as I'm not downplaying smoking cannabis, but back then, you get back 20 years ago, that was enough in that particular area to highlight real concern for a you know for a young person. So it's really really interesting. Um, so I suppose this is like a million dollar question. In your time as a a young person, you know, experiencing care, residential care, secure care, what would you have said? You know, made a good worker in your eyes when you were, you know, been been supported. Um, so I've come across many um, workers who have been amazing and I'm still in touch with some of them to, to this day as well. Um, I've been really fortunate in that, in that sense. Um, and I think what makes a, a good worker is somebody that's, that's caring, that's compassionate, that's empathic um, and, and somebody that really, what I needed as a young person was somebody to, to take, kind of claim me um, because I felt like I was kind of, I was a bit of a, a whirlwind and I didn't have roots and I, didn't, I wasn't anchored anywhere. Um, and, and it wasn't until I, I got out of secure care and, and I, I left secure care and I went to, to another residential placement where the manager was like, you're my Wayne and I'm going to look after you as my Wayne. I'm going to treat you as my Wayne. Um, so if it's not and if it's not good enough for my Wayne, then it's not good enough for you. And that was something that I really needed growing up as somebody there that to, to claim me. Um, and, and even when I was in secure care, my, my residential staff were, were great. Um, I had a couple of different spells in secure care, but um, like key workers and stuff like that would still come and visit me. Um, they would, for a period of time, um, until that that ended, um, and it ended pretty badly actually. Um, but they would, they would come and visit, they would take me out when I was allowed out of mobility and, and things like that, um, and, and, and trying to, to keep connected. And then when I was in another placement as well, um, I would get kind of letters written to me um as well um so that it was like keepsakes and memories and stuff like that as well um so i think like what makes somebody good at, at care is somebody that, that really believes and champions and cherishes their young people and and nurtures them and and kind of swings with the highs and goes with the lows and and and, and has, has, has got kind of that stickability um, where they're not going anywhere and i'm still in touch with, with several of my previous care workers and and i i i, I all my life to, to some of them, to be quite frank. Right. I mean, that's very powerful. And I, I just, I suppose, a wee additional question to that would be that, you know, personally, I value education and qualifications for, you know, for staff. There's nothing, I've never really hidden that, you know, you, you know that yourself. 
But what's your thoughts on the importance or unimportance of education for, for staff qualifications, you know, for residential staff? What, what do you think on that? I think as we, we move into this sphere of change, um, qualifications and, and education is going to become more and more important because um, if we get and we realise the vision of the promise, then you're going to be coming into contact with young people who have experienced like extreme adversities and, and sometimes we already are um, um, coming into contact with young people who have experienced extreme adversity and, and having a clear understanding of, of, of how um, like the science behind it works and how their brains function and operate and um, how can it different things can like trigger young people and, and plans that need to be in place in order to support and nurture um, our, our, our children are, 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 is really, really important. Um, but I think that, like, like, I don't think that it should be like a, a university degree that means that you need to work at, that's what you need to be able to work in a, work in a residential setting or a, a secure care setting, because oftentimes the, the best kind of workers are those that, that don't always have that academic ability, but are able to, to take in information in different ways through training, through like vocational qualifications, such as like the ASVQ and stuff like that as well. Um, so I don't think we should limit our aspirations to like a university degree, but it's, it could be something that we that we think about um, further down the line that they're supported to do and perhaps like an open university kind of model um, where they're learning on the job and they're learning as they go. Um, but I, I would worry that if we kind of set the bar too high, we would put a lot of good people off. Okay, no, that's, that's make really good points here about that. And there's probably a way that we can probably get the best of, best of both, you know, um, and hopefully the NRCCI recommendations will kind of kick back in, you know, in terms of just kind of following that up, which because I think that made a lot of good uh, recommendations as well that might dovetail nicely, uh, you know, with the work of the National Care Review and the Promise. So see, we've mentioned the Promise a couple of times, and, you know, there's... A range of recommendations made about secure care and you know supporting families. You know, do you think these recommendations will become a, rea a reality? Yeah, I do. Uh, I think we've got the will in in Scotland. We've kind of the review listened to over five and a half thousand people, half of which are, are just under half had was um, the workforce and paid and unpaid carers. Um, and, and, and the other half was, was people with lived experience. And there's been a call to arms laid down to Scotland now as to how it, it cares for its, its children um, and those that need its care and protection the most. Um, and I think that it will, it, will take a, it will take a bit of time because change does take time. Um, but I firmly believe that with the, the right support in place and, and, and that, kind of, it's that will versus skill thing again, um, if we if we can garner the will and, and, and get people to understand um, and, and the promise is set that out beautifully in the reports and the publications um, as to why this change is so so, so desperately needed, um, then I think we're, we're on the, the right path because actually the reality is um, the care system is, 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 it costs a lot of money to run, it costs billions of pounds to run, but also what we're losing um, and that as well with, with regards to people like contributing to national insurance because they're not getting jobs or and also the young people that we're actually losing as well um and i've been unfortunate enough to, to have came into contact with several young people that i grew up with who are, who are no longer with us um and that's the biggest sacrifice that, that that's ever made in this world is is, is the fact that, that young people who should have been protected supported and nurtured and loved 
no longer have their lives because of what we call this care system and how it's not functioning correctly. Um, and I think that that the that it like the recommendations around secure care about being kind of providing more trauma-informed support and um, more community-based alternatives um, and also ensuring adequate places and, and stuff like that's available for, for young people as, as possible. Um, mm -hmm. And also with my time um, on the Secure Care Pathways and Standards, working with the champions um, over the past couple of years, there is that real will to change things um, and people have amazing ideas about how they would like to see things changed um, and it's happening at all levels across all different organisations and that's what we need it's not it's not going to be a top-down approach it's not going to be a grassroots approach it's going to be both um and they're mm. going to meet in the middle and we're going to come to a compromise um and we're going to realize this vision for scotland's children where we, we grow up love safe and, and respected so that we realize our full potential um, and we owe it to the children um, and young people of scotland to do that and we owe it to the the, the parents of, of those children and young people um mm. because at the end of the day if a child is removed from 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 the care of their, their parents they're entrusted to be in the care of the state and if the state's not being a good enough parent then um, we're failing um, ultimately we're failing yeah absolutely and I suppose that brings me to kind of, maybe not nicely on the next question but it kind of fits nicely I suppose the bit about you know what I would describe as the dark side of care and the the, the horrible bit about physical restraint now there's been a lot spoken about recently and there's a lot of working groups going on across Scotland in respect to physical restraint. Um, you know, the promise speaks about that as well and Scotland's got an aspiration that it does not restrain its children. You know, so for your perspective, having had that lived experience, but also been involved in the field as well now and you're in practice, you know, you know involved with you actually making the promise a reality. You've got hundreds of experience. Should physical restraint be banned? Um, I think we should be Scotland should be striving to be a nation where we don't need to restrain our children, um, because we have think we have relationships um with them um, and also as well there was elements in my life growing up where um, I wasn't the, the only time I was physically held was in a restraint um where touch wasn't encouraged or, or, or allowed or, or, or anything like that. So as a child kind of growing up in a, an environment, like in a residential environment or a secure care environment, where the only physical contact you're getting off of anybody as a restraint, I understand why young people um, find themselves in the positions of, of, of kind of being restrained. Um, because I get that, like I get it, because um, I've lived it. Um, but also I think that if we get things in place properly like we build relationships we we nurture we, we know our young people inside out we know their triggers we know their warning signs we know what what's kind of kind of going playing out in their minds and we can read them um then then we we wouldn't need restraint but obviously there's been periods in my life where restraint saved my life um and if i hadn't been restrained then i would have caused significant harm to myself or or, or ultimately it ended my own life um and there's 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 absolutely a remit there for somebody stepping in who is trained, who who knows what they're doing, um, and 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 supporting me to to bring me back down to a level where I was safe. But that doesn't mean to say that that's 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 good enough because I should never have been in that situation in the first place. Um, so it's what we do the prep work beforehand. It's what how we how we nurture um, our workforce to be able to to 
um, feel empowered to utilise different methods and, and 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 different kind of strategies and that those de-escalation techniques which are which are absolutely critical. Um, and also as well, um, there was elements in my time in secure care where restraint was used far too often and far too easily. Um, Fit for not following rules, like so. If you're, for example, if you, you swore and you were asked to go to your bedroom and, and you said no, then you would be physically taken to your bedroom. So things like that, where we're overusing restraint and we're using it inappropriately, um, isn't okay. Um, because one of the the as, as well as having your liberty restricted, one of the the biggest kind of things to to happen to a young person is is not to have control over their own body, um, and that's horrific. Um, and we need to get better. Yeah, yeah, and that's a powerful message to send to those in direct practice and also policymakers, um, and also to society. Um, e. Milligan in his podcast made a couple of good um, kind of observations based on some of his knowledge about you know our sector, and he basically said you know just for a societal point of view, Scotland is still a violent culture, you know, and from that you know when you're living in a violent culture. It's that notion that you've got to, you know, there's got to be a, 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 a shift, a cultural shift, not just within if it's residential care, or secure care, but through a kind of societal lens, that's going to change as well. So I think you've made some fantastic points there and very honest and candid in respect to your own experience of it, you know, physical restraint. Uh, and I think that's very powerful to hear, you know, some of the stuff about, for example, it's saving your life, but also it's got to be done at the right time. And that's from a skilled and well-trained workforce, you know. So thanks for, thanks very much for that. The, the, the next the next question is about cross-border placements. Uh, you know, so Scotland currently there's a high percentage of children and young people coming into secure care in Scotland from England and usually Wales. Um, I, I, you know, what's your kind of thoughts on cross-border placements? Um, well... I think I can answer this pretty well because I was actually subject to cross-border placement myself um, for like kind of mental health issues and stuff like that when I was younger and I was growing up. So I was transferred down to England to an adolescent inpatient unit um, because we didn't have a, a, a unit in, in Scotland that would meet my needs. Um, and I can say that being transferred and, and being hundreds of miles away from, from your friends, from your family, from the people that you know and you love and you care for um, is one of the most restrictive forms of 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 care um couple that with the fact that there are young people that are coming from 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 England and Wales are, are entered into your care where their liberty is restricted um is it almost magnifies that that um tenfold um and I think that we need to get better at um ensuring that, that Britain as, as a whole um, has the supports and, and the necessary placements in place for, for young people so that they can be close to their, their friends and their family um, and, and keep those and maintain those community links um, because young people coming up from, from England and, and when I went down to England I was petrified like I didn't understand the culture I didn't understand the accent there were things that they would say that I, would, I was like are they talking about me like because I didn't understand what they were saying and stuff like that as well um, so that was kind of really um, it was it, it was quite traumatic um, for, for, for myself so I can only imagine what it's like for, for young people coming up from, from England um, and I think that sometimes it, it can be seen as as, as is a bit of an easy option um, because the, the structures are, are, 
are in place and they're quite robust structures now for cross-border transfers because they've been happening for quite a long time now. Um, when I was in secure care, I, I remember um, just before I left, a young person came up with um, from from England and that was one of the first cross-border transfers that had happened and, and had taken place. Um, so what I was um, kind of, what I'm trying to say is that we should make sure that, that we are, are are looking after our own, but also that we are not putting young people at, at, at risk. And that's the, the responsibility of the English government and, 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 and the devolved powers and stuff like that as well. I, I totally appreciate that. Yeah. But if a, a cross-border placement can save some someone's life, then I think that that's an, an, an important and, and, and we should be doing all we can to protect and, and safeguard our young people. Um, but I don't think that it's a sustainable model and I don't think that it's the way forward. Um, and I feel that um, like what happened with, with William Lindsay, sadly, was there was no secure care placements um, for him. Mm. Um, where he, he yeah. should have been, where he was protected and, 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 and nurtured and, and, and supported. Um, and, and we know the outcome yeah. of what happened. Um, there because of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a really important point. And in a previous podcast, it's still to be published, but I spoke to a service manager called Jim Shields at St Mary's, and St Mary and St Mary's of are always, you know, pretty much keeping a one bed, um, kind of, you know, available for Scottish kids. That's what Jim had said, you know, off the back of a, a similar discussion. So that was quite kind of heartening to hear, you know, that the fact that St Mary's. Uh, are, are always keeping their eye on, you know, Scotland and making sure there's some sort of, you know, provision available, you know, just in case, you know, so that, I, I think that's quite nice to, to, to hear that, you know, um, but again, you're absolutely right, we, we need to make sure that we've got enough, you know, there for, for, for times when we really need, really need it, you know, um, support, so thanks very much for that, so I suppose the next question is a bit like a question to kind of, I suppose, look to the past, and say, you know, in your, you know, maybe in your career so far, um, you know, if you could go back and tell yourself something at the beginning of your career, uh, you know, in terms of your, your work as an activist, even, or doing your stuff, you know, that you've done so far with the North Archer, um, what, what, kind of, what could you go back and give yourself a bit of advice that maybe you could rely on just now, um, um, if you could? I no bother. Um, I think that the advice that I would probably give myself is is to keep going, um, keep pushing, right. um, keep pushing for change because change will happen. Um, mm -hmm. And I think the the more we, the louder we shout, the more we shout, the more noise that we make about um, care in Scotland um, and what needs to change, especially coming from a lived experience perspective, the better. Um, but also the fact that um, the Independent Care Review has delivered a, a blueprint um, for a Scotland where we don't need to shout anymore because our ambitions, our hopes, our dreams, our, our care um, is is delivered and it's it's delivered properly, um, it's delivered accurately, it's it's delivered um, with love, um, most importantly. Um, and I suppose I would also tell my my younger self that it doesn't always, it's not always about you. Um, and that might sound like a bit of a condescending comment to make about myself, but um, kind of starting out, I, I've got a fierce passion for, for change and it's, it's, it's something that, that um, I, I will continue to be passionate about for the rest of my career, I think. Um, but what I 
struggled with at the start of my career was was thinking that I had to be the one that was making the change and that I couldn't trust somebody else to be able to make that change on my behalf and that's the good thing about working in um, North Lanarkshire just now amongst a team of people is that we can rely on each other um, to take forward some pieces of work and um, to attend different meetings and to sometimes if, if you're just not feeling it some days and being like can you can you step in for me um, that's really important because what I found myself was I was kind of charging with a white horse and I was I was kind of um, but not taking cognizance of the wider kind of picture around about me that, that people were also feeling the same way um, and that I wasn't alone. Well that's that, that's really interesting the fact that you know, I think we all you know, like change to happen at varying paces, you know, and um, somebody likes things to happen very quick and I think I'm somewhat like yourselves about it, but just kind of being able to kind of trust people to, to you know, to, to play their part, you know, and I think that's a, in this instance, we're trusting the Scottish Government, we're trusting those in with power within local authorities and the third and private sector to, to make that change happen, you know, so... That's really good. So finally, just in terms of the final question. So in five years time, you know, where do you hope to be in your professional life? What would you like to be doing? Um I still see myself delivering this change. Um we know that the change program is going to take 10 years. Um and I'm wholly, wholeheartedly committed and empowered and dedicated to the cause um of 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 seeing the promise be a reality um so i see myself in in, in some form of a line of work to do with um care i i, I don't like people often say and they're, they're true that care never leaves you so in the context when we talk about care leavers it's like actually no that, that's not that's not correct because care never leaves you um but i i, I won't be leaving this field of work behind anytime soon um and, and I suppose I, I've thought about it quite a bit, and, and I think that um, what happens at the end of the 10 years, if the change is realised, where would I go then? Um, and I suppose um, one of the things that I, I, I would like to do is, is probably become a teacher, um, but not just now, because I, I've got too much that I want to change first. Right. Well, on that note, I think that's a really good uh, kind of ending point so far, and we'll probably need to chat again at some point soon. But Beth Ann, I really do appreciate the time you've given me and, um, and you know, for people to listen to this podcast and your wisdom uh, and sharing some of that, you know, powerful lived experience that, you know, is, is you know, it's no, I know it's no easy and we, we spoke before about people having to share their stories time and time again and that, you know, isn't kind of helpful either in any respects and it's that part, but we need to, you know, I suppose, take, take note about those we have the experience are saying and really put you know put the you know put it into action yeah, you know, the, the change so thanks very much no problem thanks for having me okay thank you thank you so much to Beth and for taking part in today's podcast on reflection I think it's exactly why it's important that we hear the spoken word of those with lived experience and those of indirect practice this rich needs piece of narrative provided by Beth Ann has led me to think about my own role as a manager and the responsibility that the role entails. In respect of the podcast, I'm interested in your thoughts and what Beth had to say. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and as always, please share across your networks and if you'd like to take part, do get in touch. Thank you.